Spiritual Warfare, Lesson 5, The Armor of God, Part 2. This does conclude our first part of Spiritual Warfare. Of course, we do have a Spiritual Warfare 2. We may or may not uh, go into that next. We'll see how that plays out with whatever the Lord wants. That's what's import, most important. But for this lesson, The Armor of God, Part 2, and we noticed that we talked about body armor last time, so now we're going into more of our weapons. So soldiers that are in battle never rest as those that are in the comfort of home. <laughs> soldiers that are in battle never rest as those that are in the comfort of home. It doesn't mean that a soldier at, at war never gets to rest. It just means they don't rest as much. They don't have that, the ability to just kick back and relax and everything's hunky-dory and don't have to worry about anything. There is a heightened sense of awareness but you find the rest where you can, especially when you're in battle. Now, we as Christians, we may not always be in battle 24-7, but when we are in battle, we need to make sure that we are paying attention to what the Holy Spirit is saying, paying attention to what the, what the Word of God has told us, and rely on that to be our battle guide and to know these things. But it's also an important reason for us to be in the house of God, to be refreshed, but it also brings safety. Because when you're in the house of God, now granted, it doesn't make the enemy go away. doesn't mean the enemy can't show up in the church. It just means that when you're here, this is where you should find refreshing. This is where you should find that breathing room of, man, I've, you know, from Sunday night all the way to, to, to Sunday morning, you know, all the way back around for the whole week or maybe you know, for our midweek service, however you'd like to look at it. This whole time I've been battling the enemy. I've been fighting, I've been fighting. I just need a refreshing. And that's another reason that we come to the house of God. It's not the only reason, but it is a big reason for us to come to the house of God, just to be refreshed, to be in God's presence, knowing that it's kind of like that, you know, when you think of kids, when they play, when they play tag, they say, well, this over here is safety. This over here is safe area. So if I touch this, I'm safe. It's kind of like that but for adults. <laughs> it's like you get into the house of God, you're like, I know the enemy's still there, but I'm coming to be in the presence of God just to be refreshed and to be safe, and that way I can just have that moment of just saying, God, I worship you. God, I just, just fill me up, Lord. Fill me whatever I need. Lord, just refresh me. Re-equip me, Lord, to take on the battles, Lord, as I leave this place. Help me, Lord, just to re-equip me, put everything back into me that I need, and refresh me and give me energy, Lord. And he is faithful to answer that. We all need that. Sometimes we have a, a week that has just felt like pure hell. It feels like every demon, every thing of the enemy has just been knocking at our door, trying to knock us down. And so we get in the house of God, we get that refreshing, and then hopefully we can go back out. And whether that next week is maybe lighter, or whether that next week we go right back into it, everything has a season. Everything has a season. Doesn't mean that it'll last forever. Everything has a season. Even according to Ecclesiastes, it says there is a season for everything. So that means there's a season. That means there's at some point this started, and at some point it will stop. The enemy wants you to believe it's never going to end. It's never going to, it's never going to, it's never, it will. Because the enemy won't keep that. The enemy will not sustain that. When you keep holding your ground, especially in the things of God with spiritual warfare, you keep holding on to that armor of God. You keep battling. You keep fighting. That battle will end. You know, because even I think about our time in Afghanistan, there came a time to where they thought about, you know, shortening our deployment, thought about, you know, extending our deployment. They had all these guidelines and plans, but we knew at some point we are leaving here and going home. So even in the natural army, 
They have, we had that mindset. But in the spiritual army, we should have that mindset of, I know I've got victory. 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 I'm going to declare it. I'm going to stand on it. I'm going to, I'm going to have it coming out of my mouth. Because I know I've got victory because I'm not quitting. I'm not drawing back. I'm, I'm enduring to the end because Jesus told me from his word, those that will endure to the end, the same shall be saved. So I'm going to endure and I'm going to get my victory. And I know this is only a season, so I'm coming out the other side victorious because I'm not quitting and not backing down. Amen. So being ready for battle requires the soldier to know every part of the weapons assigned as well as having the ability to know how how to be quick in response to any attack that may take place. So for us being in, you know, in the natural army, when I was, in, I was in the military, they taught us all kinds of different weapons, and we had to know them. First, we had to know the manuals of it, know how fast the rate per fire was, know how many rounds you could fire before you, sometimes you change out barrels, sometimes you got to do this, sometimes you got to do that, to know those specifics before we ever touch the weapon. Why? Because that way, when we got hands-on, we knew exactly what we were doing. Maybe not to a T, maybe didn't know 100% of it, because there's still a couple of things that makes more sense when you get hands-on. That's like learning spiritual warfare. Well, what does that look like? What does this look like? Well, you can learn, you can study from the Word of God, you can begin to gather all that knowledge and understanding, apply it to your heart and life. But when it comes time for that spiritual warfare and you get to put that into practice, all this makes more sense now to keep a helmet of salvation, to keep the enemy out of my mind and out of my heart, to hear the, the breastplate of righteousness, to keep my heart right, to keep my emotions in check, to keep my, you know, my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, to go in peace wherever I walk, to have the belt of truth, to have it balancing me, to say, no, 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 that's a lie. The Word of God says this. The Word of God says that. No, I know God's called me there. I know God's called me here. I know that God has all these things. So we put all these things on and we use it and we put our hands to it to actually put it into practice, it makes more sense of saying, oh, okay, this is why the belt's important. This is why the shoes are important. This is why the breastplate's important. This is why the helmet's important. You begin to understand all these things. But as we look at this, we're going to talk about the shield of faith, but also the sword of the Spirit, and we begin to realize why those are important. Amen. Because every priest that Paul is writing about is inspired by the Holy Spirit to give us a picture of what we need for battle. Amen. Amen. Notice Paul never mentions any source of water. Is, wouldn't that be important? Yeah, refreshing of the water. Yeah, that would be important. But obviously the Holy Spirit says, name these parts because this is what they need to not only defend themselves, but to have offensive weapons where they can attack the enemy. So we understand that there are things that maybe wasn't as mentioned, but they're still important to a soldier, even in the natural or the spiritual. But these things are important of why Paul calls them out as the armor of God. And so we, th we should take key of these important pieces and put them, apply them to our heart and our life. Apply them to our spiritual walk. So the response time in battle could mean life or death. Let me back up for a second. The reason I bring that out is because if Paul really wanted to get detailed in just naming everything that was important to a soldier, he would have. He would have named every little detail because he you know, knew the law, he knew every jot and tittle, so he would have been that way, could have been that way in naming every little bitty thing exactly what you know this little thing on the armor this little thing for the helmet this he didn't god told him name these things these are what's important by the holy spirit and so that's why he names them 
So if he names them, that means it's important for us to put on and for us to use. Anyway, so the response time in battle could mean life or death. Like for somebody that's tempted with you know, sexual things. Well, if their response time is poor to say, no, I'm not thinking that. No, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to follow through with that. Then that could be death to their marriage, death to their friendships, death to other things in their life. So, but if you have a quick response time, say, nope, I'm not thinking that, that brings life. It sustains life to say, nope, I'm not giving into that, that's wrong. Now, if you're married, and all of a sudden you think of sexual things, well, as long as it's with your spouse, you're, you're fine. <laughs> so you can linger on those thoughts. <laughs> okay, no, all right, we'll see how that is. Praise God. Anyway, so when you think about that, but if, if it's in the bonds of holy matrimony, then yes, you can... But so your quick, your, your, your quick response does not need to be so quick to cut things down. It's quick to, hmm, let me think about that. I love my spouse. Mm, yeah, okay. But if it's about somebody else, then you need a quick response. Say, nope, I'm not thinking that. No, I, I'm cursing that. We're not going to think that, mind. Shut up, enemy. I'm not allowing that fiery dart to blind in my mind. So we can see these response times are important depending on the situation, depending on what's happening, what the enemy is trying to attack you with. It's not just going to be that. It's going to be many things. Because the enemy's so determined that if one thing doesn't work, he's going to go back, regroup, find something else to try to throw at you. So that's why we are on guard. We're not paranoid, but we're on guard to say, all right, is this an attack of the enemy? Is this part of the fallen nature of man? Is this this? Let me judge this so I know how to respond, how to react to this situation. So the shield of faith, our first weapon that we could say, well, but pastor, that sounds more defensive than it does offensive. Well, the shield of faith is designed to protect the whole body in height and width against all weapons that an enemy would use to strike. Now, here's where we can say this could technically be offensive and defensive, but for a, probably a lack of a better example, you can think maybe of some movies where you know, if somebody has a shield, they don't just use it to block things. They'll use it to actually run people over with. They'll use it to, you know, to hit people with, hit somebody over the head, knock them out, or whatever the case may be. And so it's, it's not only a defensive weapon, it can be an offensive weapon. I like this next part. Being sometimes soaked or dipped in water extinguished the enemy's flaming missiles thrown at the soldier holding the shield. Now, we would say that this water many times represents the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. There are multiple scriptures for that. You say the washing of the water of the Word, so it also represents the Word. You know, there's, there's also other water things that we could think about, but really when it comes to spiritual warfare, I would say that probably the two that stands out is the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Well, we could kind of maybe eliminate the Word of God because we know that's also the sword of the Spirit, but by, by, by other scripture, we could technically apply it to that. So anyway, here's, here's where I'm going with that. Having faith, which is our shield, strengthened by the Holy Spirit and the Word, keeps the shield strong. That's why they would dip. Now, I tried to give us a natural example and then back it up with a spiritual example. So the natural example is they would sometimes dip their shields in water and so that way, when the, when the enemy threw a firing you know, uh, dart or threw something with fire on it, they could hold that up. It would hit the shield, but it would extinguish it because it's been dipped in water. It has that refreshing on it. So for us, 
our shield of faith. Our faith is very important. Faith is what it takes to please God. But having faith that is strengthened by the Holy Spirit and the Word, either way, we can apply the water, keeps the shield strong. It keeps that shield soaked. It keeps that shield extinguishing all those fiery darts that come at us because our shield of faith is saying, no, I'm not believing that. And we hold up the Word of God. We hold up our faith, but it's soaked in the Word of God because faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. So if we know, if we can apply these, it helps us to understand the, the importance of what Paul is trying to say when he talks about the armor of God for our spiritual warfare. So having faith strengthened, having it constantly dipped in that water, which is the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, keeps it strong. So this important armor piece could deflect many of the enemy's first attempts at attacking the soldier. So you can squash a lot of the attacks by the first attempts of the enemy just by having a shield of faith that is, that is strengthened by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God. Because he throws that and says, nope, not, nope, not getting into that. And shh, you can hear the fire go out. Not giving into that. All right, try again, enemy. And he throws something else. Nope, not believing that. But notice that's the, that's the first attacks we could say. A determined enemy will try to throw things until he can get closer to you to figure out your weakness. So that's the reason it's important for us to have on the whole armor of God. So that way we can keep blocking those first attempts. And we know, all right, he's coming. And when he's coming, I'm going to pull out the sword and I'm going to chop that ugly guy's head off. Amen. Amen. <laughs> but so we keep using the shield to put out the things that we can. Because even if you go back and review this scripture, we didn't cover it here. But when you go back and review it, it says that you may quench all the fiery darts. All the fiery darts. So that means the things that the enemy's standing a distance from you to throw at you, you can quench every one of them with the shield of faith. Now, granted, if he's standing five feet from you, he's not going to throw a fiery dart. He's going to try to swat at you with something else. But we can quench all the fiery darts with the word of God, with the shield of faith soaked in the water, we could say. But for the, for the Christian soldier, this shield disables the enemy's attacks on a believer's faith in God's goodness, his love, his power, his grace, his mercy, his sufficiency, and truthfulness. I'm going to say that again. The, for the Christian soldier, this shield disables the enemy's attacks on a believer's faith in God's goodness. Well, God doesn't love me. God's not good. Yes, he is. <laughs> Our shield of faith should Back that up. Our shield of faith should block that fiery dart. Our fiery dart's coming and it's speaking to me. It says, God's not good. Yes, he is. You put up a shield of faith. It says, God doesn't love me. You put up the shield of faith. Yes, he does. Ephesians 1 tells me about who I am in Christ Jesus. And if God didn't want that road, he wouldn't have wrote that. There's all throughout the Bible. It tells me what God thinks of me and how much he loves me. And what he sent his only begotten son for me. That I could have life and life more abundantly. Anyway, but we can see the shield... Our, that shield should be the, what defends our faith because it is our faith, but it's backed by the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit. Because if you'll look at this, I listed these because this is usually what the flaming arrows with the, the fiery darts, what they really are attacking. God's goodness, God's love, God's power, God's grace, God's mercy, God's sufficiency in our lives, and God's truthfulness. That's usually what the flaming arrows represent. Now, it doesn't mean it's inclusive, that it's the only things that it represents, but that's a lot of what the fiery darts do, is it tries to be that first 
to penetrate you, to break you down. And we can't let that be. It's when we hold up the shield of faith. Having faith in God extinguishes the fiery darts that are designed to make the target lose belief or trust in God. John MacArthur, again, I say be careful what you read on that, but he he did have a good point on this, so this is the reason I quote him. John MacArthur says, Faith is only as reliable and helpful as the trustworthiness of its object. (laughs) Faith, amen. That's the reason I quoted him. I was the reason I say, be careful what you read out of other stuff. I wouldn't advise too much of reading of him. But I read this for spiritual warfare. I said, okay, I can use that. I like that. Amen. Faith is only as reliable and helpful as the trustworthiness of its object. That means our faith in us doesn't have to be much, but our faith in God should be great because he is trustworthy. He is the God of all creation. He's the one that no one can overcome. So our faith in him should be outrageous. <laughs> it should be astronomical. Any other eight-cylinder words you want to use on that? <laughs> I heard a joke one time uh, growing up as a guy said he uses those eight-cylinder words, like real long words. Anyway, that's where that comes from. Amen. But faith is only reliable and helpful as is trustworthiness of its object. In the case of a Christian, it is placed within an unfailing God. Amen. So the sword of the Spirit... The sword of the Spirit should be close by and ready for use at any given moment. You know, even when I was in the military, especially on deployment, my M4 was always real close to me. It was always very close to me. I was actually, uh, Ty was asking me questions about being uh, in a up-armored truck in Afghanistan and things, and so I was kind of telling him about the turrets that I had. You know, one, I was sitting behind the screen. I was inside. I was a little safer. So I was able to have a joystick, and it was like playing a video game. But I'm, I'm actually operating a 50 cal machine gun on top of this MRAP that we're in. And so, yeah, that's pretty awesome because I'm safe. I'm inside this thing. And, but the other turrets that we had is I had to actually be outside, and I had metal around me like for three points behind me on both sides and then over top of me to a degree. But then there was this wide open space. And so I had to be more mindful because I'm looking and anything that could be thrown or shot could be fired into this gaping hole and I had to be mindful of what's going on around me. So there wasn't as much safety as being with the crow system. Anyway, so I say that to say even though I had a belt-fed machine gun in front of me, (laughs) I always still had my M4 beside of me with one in the barrel ready to go. Why? Because if this thing ever failed me, I knew I had this. Now, the Word of God will never fail you, so don't take it like that. But I say that M4 was precious to me because I had it with me no matter where I was, no matter where I was going, it was with me, especially in the heat of battle. So even when I had something else I could use, I still had that as right by my side so I could grab it at a a moment's notice. So the word of God, the sword of the spirit should be no different. We should have it at our side ready to go at any given moment. Because you never know when the enemy tries to attack, you use your, use your shield of faith to put out the fiery dart, but then you need the, word, the sword of the spirit, the word of God, to chop down anything or attack anybody that would try to come near you. What did Jesus use when the devil tried to tempt him and talk to him? The word of God. What did the devil use to him? The word of God. So it's almost like you have this, this sword fight. But guess who won? Jesus Christ. 
Why? Because he had the authority that came behind that sword of the Spirit. Because he was the Word. <laughs> he was the Word made flesh. So what better marksman or what better swordsman could you have than the one that, it, that, was, that is the sword? <laughs> so if we are to be Christ-like, we should know the Word of God and make it our, our life's ambition to know the Word of God and to live the Word out. So in essence, become pro professional swordsmen, so to speak, not that we're going to have everything perfect in our lives. Don't hear that. But it's we, that we live the, word out, live the Word of God out so much that we become one with the Word to say, I know how I should react in this. I know how to handle this. I know how I need to handle that. Because the Word of God is so much in us, we know how to apply it. We know how to use that sword so skillfully. doesn't mean we'll always hit everything perfect, but we use it to the best of our ability. And we say, Lord, help me to be anointed and help me to be Lord, so mindful of how I use the sword and how I live my life that I'm a good swordsman with the Word of God. Amen. But we're to always have it ready at any given moment. The Holy Spirit is the origin of the sword that inspired the penman to write the words God authored from heaven. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction, for righteousness. You know, that reminds me, you know, this, a sword can be used, many people would think, you know, to cut body parts, to, to kill somebody. But have you ever seen somebody that is, that is training? When they're training, they can use that sword and they can, you know, they're training, of course, they're, they're hitting swords, they're trying to take marks, they're trying to do this, trying to do that. But then a good swordsman, when he's with his student, when his student's not paying attention, can use the broad side of that sword and spank the one that he's training a good swordsman can use that not with the sharp end of the blade but with the flat side and spank it and that student's like oh man mm, caught me off guard yeah i caught you off guard next time might not feel so good it might not feel that good because i can cut a body part off if you're not paying attention because you're refusing to take the 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 teaching that i'm giving you and helping you Amen. God does the same thing. Sometimes he takes the broad side of that sword, swats us on the hind end, and we're like, oh, yeah, I need to get that in line. All right, Lord, I'm listening. I'm paying attention. You got my intention. I'll obey, Lord. I'll learn from that. Help me to be better. So many times we think of that cutting things, but sometimes the Lord uses that for correction. Swats you on the rear end, get your attention. Amen. But that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all, to all good works. So this weapon is also a source of truth. John 17, 17. The word of, uh, word of God, the sword of the Spirit, is a source of happiness. Proverbs 8, 34. A source of power. Luke 10, 19. Source of spiritual growth. Acts 17, 11. Romans 10, 17. A source of guidance. Psalm 119, 105. A source of comfort. Job 23, 12. A source of protection. Hebrews 4, 12. And a source of victory, Luke 1.37. Man, look at all those verses there. Let's see, we got a New Testament, an Old Testament, New Testament, New Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, New Testament. So if both Testaments are represented in everything that the Word of God is, why would you get rid of any of it? Amen. Unless somebody wants to weaken your sword and weaken how you believe in the sword. 
That is why they say, well, you don't need the Old Testament. That's just all, that's the law. No, no, no. Only about a book and a half or so is, is the law. The rest of it is historical poetry. You have books of the prophets. You got all kinds of things in there that it builds up to the New Testament, helps reveal who Jesus is, helps, you, helps reveal things, helps us to understand our God better. So yes, it, that's the perfect plan of the enemies to get you to, to doubt your belief in your sword, to get you to doubt and lack faith in areas that you really can use to be a benefit unto you. So seeing all this, there's a lot in the Word of God just in being our sword. It's truth, it's happiness, source of power, source of spiritual growth, guidance, comfort, and protection, and victory. No wonder the enemy wants us to not believe in the Word of God because it brings us victory and all these things that we have need of. Amen. So, but if we as Christians, as soldiers of the living God, can take this wonderful piece of equipment that God has given us, I don't mean to degrade it in that regard, but this sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, if we can take it and apply it to our life, know how to use it, know what's in it, then we can have all of these things we just listed. And this is not an all-inclusive list. This isn't everything that the Word of God is. This is just part of what we could cover and want to tie in with our lesson. Amen. So I challenge you, if you want to know more of what the Word of God is, study it out. You'll find it's a lot more than what we give it credit for. So our next one is communication. So Ephesians 6.18 says, Pray at all times, on every occasion, in every season, in the Spirit, with all manner of prayer and entreaty. To that end, keep alert and watch with strong purpose and perseverance, interceding in behalf of all the saints, God's consecrated people. So praying always. Prayer is the only communication a Christian has with the superior officers of heaven. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. Prayer is the only communication a Christian has with the superior officers of heaven. Now, granted, we have the word of God. That helps communicate what God wants to say to us. But what about us talking to God? What about us asking questions? What about us asking for clarity? What about us in, in, in need of further communication? That's what prayer is. It's not only our it's not, it shouldn't be our grocery list of things that we need. It should be our talking to our God, asking questions. Lord, Lord, can you give me clarification on this? Can you help me? Maybe reveal to me maybe a scripture. Reveal to me something else. Lord, just help me understand this. I want, I want clarification on this, Lord. Or what would you have me do for this? What would you have me do for that? That's our communication back to God. So it's important. So this is the reason why the enemy doesn't want you to pray. Enemy wants you to put down, well, I prayed once and it didn't work, or I did this and it didn't work, or God doesn't hear my prayers, God doesn't answer my prayers. That's all lies of the enemy because he wants you to stop praying. He wants you to cut off the communication. <laughs> he wants you to, to cut off your radio. <laughs> we, before we were able to leave the FOB, the forward operating base in Afghanistan, we had to go through multiple radio checks, make sure all of our equipment worked, and especially before we headed out the gate, that we had to make sure that all of our communication was in sync and on the right channel. That means I'm going to say that again. I think one or two of you picked up what I was laying down. We had to make sure our radios were in sync and on the right channel. Just because you're on the right channel doesn't mean that you're in sync. 
because our radios, we had to have these special things that we would do pretty much every day that we would make sure they were in sync with each other. They were in perfect timing, and we would alternate them so the enemy couldn't penetrate whatever, whatever we were talking. They would be in sync with us. If you ever found it, and then they would just stay in sync with us. No, no, no. We would constantly rotate those things, but everybody that was going out had to all be on the same sync. All had to be on the same channel. So it took not just the right channel, but the right timing of everything. So it's important for us to have the right timing to be in sync with God, not some boy band, to be in sync with God and to be on the right channel, to be, have everything lined out just right. doesn't mean that your prayer has got to have the right words and you can't missay this. And you can't, no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your, your, your life and your prayer is in sync with God. Father, I, just, I need you, Lord. I need you. I've messed this up. I've messed that up. Lord, I need your guidance. I need your help. That's being in sync with God. Well, how is that being in sync with God? One, you're not being religious. Being religious does not put you in sync with God. Speaking Christianese does not put you in sync with God. Because I've seen a lot of people speak Christianese and go live like the devil. (laughs) I've seen that a lot. And it's sad that people can speak Christianese and still go live like the devil. That's a shame. And many churches and, and preachers and pastors will teach you how to do it. Because they do it themselves. Anyway, that's a whole other message for another day. But coming back to spiritual warfare. So what we do is we make sure that we're in sync with God. His, his timing. But we also make sure that we're on the right channel with Him. We make sure that we have everything lined up with God. That we're in right standing with Him. That we make these requests known unto Him. That we talk to Him. Ask questions. God says you have not because you ask not. Ask and keep asking. Knock and keep knocking. He says, it shall be open unto you. So we have lots of scripture for us to pray, but the enemy doesn't want you to pray because he knows if you keep that line of communication open, you'll have victory. You'll have courage. It'll build your faith. Oh, man, that means it's going to build your shield, which puts out a lot of his fiery darts. So you can see his, his mode of operation of why he wants you to not talk to your God and to pray. So without proper communication or having a lack of communication, battles are lost and soldiers die on the battlefield. You know, I'm reminded of Jimmy Swaggart, of course, used to preach and win many souls to the Lord. And, of course, he got into some sin, he got into some issues, and, and his ministry fell because he fell. And somebody asked him, this is public knowledge, so I don't mind saying his name. This is You can go back and review this. You can look it up on the Google. <laughs> but... They asked him, somebody asked him one time in an interview, you know, well, Brother Jimmy, you know, what happened to create this? He said, well, he said, it all started when I quit praying for Jimmy and prayed for the ministry. Why? Because he took the focus off of his relationship with God and was more focused on what he was doing for God. That cannot be us. Now, granted, sometimes we may pull that direction, but we've got to catch ourselves to say, no, no, Lord. I'm not praying just for what I'm doing for you. I'm praying because you're my God, because you mean more to me than anything I could just put my hand to. Lord, my walk with you, knowing you, and you knowing me means more than anything I could ever do for you. Because remember, Jesus even said that in the last day when people would come before him, they said, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do that? And he says, I never knew you. So they were doing things for him in his name, but they didn't know him. That's why we must continually pray unto our God to, to have our relationship 
renewed and in sync and just in cooperation with God at all times so that we don't become a doer and not a knower of God. Amen. So in military training, one of the first established tactics to overcome an enemy is to take out the communication between the soldiers, but especially the communication between the soldiers and the leaders. You mean like cutting off communication to where not only the soldiers are not, no longer talking, but then you have the leaders. They can't communicate with them either. That's dangerous. That's exactly what the enemy wants. So we can't fall for that trick or that ploy, that scheme of the enemy. We've got to be able to communicate with one another and as, you know, as, as soldiers, but we also communicate with our leaders and we communicate with God. So there should be communication abounding among God's people. To one another, to leaders, to God, there should be communication everywhere. <laughs> and, you know, in the military, we would always get frustrated because it seemed like you heard the same order over and over and over. But why? Because they wanted to make sure, hey, we're all on the same page. Hey, we're all on the same page. Hey, we got to be here at 0, 0600 hours. All right, okay, all right. Five minutes later, somebody else will come by. Hey, we got to be here at 0, 0600 hours. Okay, yeah, I heard you before. And then somebody else come on. Hey, we got to be here at 0600. I know I heard it the first two times. Then you got some dingling come along and say, Hey, we got to be here at 0630. No, we're not. No, 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 no. We were told 600. We were told 600 by three other people. I was just playing. I was just make sure you're paying attention. Really? Really? Dingling. <laughs> but why? We knew what time to be there because it had been drilled into us. Because of communication. Because that communication was so frequent and so flowing between all of us that we knew exactly what to expect and what to do. It was the times of lack of communication that caused chaos, confusion, and frustration. So we need communication. Amen. So the Apostle Paul follows the armor of God with this verse about prayer as an important part of the Christian strategy. Praying means request always directed toward God to ask from inferior to superior to make requests for our particular needs. Because you can think of this, and it makes you know, sense when you look at it this way, when you hear the definition of praying, you know, especially to ask from inferior to superior. Because God never prays to us, we pray to God. So that is an inferior talking to a superior to make requests for particular needs. Now, granted, yes, we can ask God because he says, ask and you shall receive. But that doesn't mean that's the only reason that we talk to God is just to give him our grocery list and say, all right, Lord, these are the things I want. These are the things I need. So go get them for me, Lord. That should not be our prayer life. Amen. Amen. You know, when, when our boys, when they show appreciation and love and they're obeying what we tell them, when they turn around and ask me, Daddy, can we do this? Daddy, can we have this? I don't mind doing that. Now, granted, there are some things they may ask for that's really high in price. I'm like, we can't afford to do that right now. Let's wait on that a little bit. Maybe that's a birthday present. Maybe that's a Christmas present. Something like that. But if they're being stink berries every day, being disrespectful, not listening, not obeying, not doing what mom and I have asked, then when they ask for something, no, I'm not getting you that. You've been disrespectful. You're not listening to me. I'm not going to listen to you. Now, granted, God doesn't reply like that, but God may be, well, if you're not going to obey me, if you're not going to listen to me, then you obviously don't want to serve me, so I'm not going to give heed to what you're asking because I honor my children. Even God has a standard of he honors those who are honorable. 
Amen. So always reflects uncertain affinity marked out and expressed. So constant communication with God for plans and direction is the purpose of prayer. Constant communication with God for plans and direction is the purpose of prayer. That should be our purpose. All right, Lord, what do you have planned next? What would you like for me to do? What direction would you like for me to go for this, Lord? Then praying refreshes, strengthens, and encourages. Praying refreshes, strengthens, and encourages. I don't know of a time I've ever went to the Lord in prayer, really dove into prayer, and come out feeling, feeling worse. <laughs> it's never happened. Now, granted, if you just kind of go in half-hearted and, all right, Lord, I've got to pray. What do you want to pray about, Lord? Well, all right, Lord, it's been a good time in prayer. No, it ain't, you liar. You half-hearted done that. You didn't talk to God. <laughs> now, you might come out feeling worse like that because you feel like you wasted time. But I like what my pastor says. No time in prayer is wasted time. That's provided that you're actually praying and talking to God. Amen. But prayer refreshes, strengthens, and encourages to pray, I mean, because really, if you think about it, if you're, if you're talking to the Almighty God, why wouldn't you feel strengthened? Why wouldn't you feel refreshed and encouraged? Amen. That's like, you know, I'm talking to my pastor. I feel refreshed, strengthened, and encouraged. Now, granted, he's a, he's a man, but he's my gift from Jesus Christ. And when I talk to him, he's usually breathing some breath of life into me of, you know, encouraging me or, or you know, telling me something funny that just, like, takes my mind off of whatever it is my maybe you know, trying to re resolve at that moment. It's just a breath of fresh air saying, oh, yeah, I love being around my pastor. I feel so refreshed when I'm around him. That's the way our God, talking with our God should be. Now, granted, again, my pastor's a man. He's, that's not 100% of the time like that, but it is a majority, and that's how I know that our relationship is healthy because he's still being that refreshing to me. Amen. Anyway, our relationship with our God should be even greater because God is greater than any man could ever be. He could be that refreshing always. He could be that encouraging always. He could be that strengthening and getting ready for the, the fight or getting ready for whatever we have need of. He can help us with it. But to pray at all times reflects living in a continual God consciousness. And Christians should pray for all believers and not just themselves. The failure to pray is a failure to glorify God and have true intimate fellowship with Him. I'll say that again because many Christians would do good to hear this line right here. The failure to pray is failure to glorify God and have true intimate fellowship with Him. A person's knowledge and relationship to God are measured by his prayer life. I'll say that again. A person's knowledge and relationship to God are measured by his prayer life. You can tell when some people are like, well, Lord, <laughs> I'm going to tell off on somebody. I'm not going to give the name. We went to a person's house one time, and they were going to pray over the food. And, you know, of course, you know, all their family's there, and, and we kind of line up, you know, on our side, and we got our family over here, and they're over there. And so he's, you know, being the man of the house, he says, all right, well, you know, well, let's pray. And then so we all bow our head, and he begins to pray. And I'm like, you don't pray much, do you? You don't talk to God much, do you? And I'm not saying that to put him down, but I'm saying because we were there, it felt like, oh, well, we got to pray because, you know, this preacher and his family is here, so we got to pray. We got to at least do that for them. And it, it kind of told off on their relationship and their knowledge of, how, of God and how they walked with him because it was almost like he was talking to somebody, maybe an acquaintance that he knows. 
that he knows a little bit about, but he doesn't know too intimately, so it was reflected in a prayer. But if you really know God, you know that you're talking to your heavenly Father. When I call my, my dad, I don't have to say, Hey, Daddy, this is Caleb. How are you? I don't have to do that. <laughs> I got to say, Hey, how are you? So I'm good. How are you? He knows my voice. And I know his voice. And we know each other. So it, it's that intimacy that you know each other well enough that you have that relationship. And it should be reflected in our prayer that when we talk to God, it's reflected that we know God and we know his word. We know how, how to handle God, how to talk to him in that manner. How to make proper requests, not the these and the thous, but Lord, your word says I can have this, Lord. So I'm, I'm believing for this. Lord, your word says I can ask and I'll receive. And you'll give me the desires of my heart. You start quoting this quote word to God shows that you're intimate in the word to know your God, and you pray because you're intimate in knowing God and he knows you. Amen. So the more a person prays, the more they know God and build a relationship with him. God desires his soldiers to remind him of the promises in his word. Knowing his word allows Christians to know him more. Using the word of God during prayer paints the picture of a soldier communicating with his commander while swinging his sword at the enemy during battle. To receive the proper supplies a battle for battle, excuse me, a soldier must be specific in requests made to his superiors. When you do not pray specifically, God cannot answer specifically. Amen. So, so you know, if you're needing you know, supplies, you don't, you know, we didn't call up the supply sergeant and say, hey, we need supplies. Okay, well, that's fine and good. What do you need? We need supplies. Okay, that's fine and good. What do you need? We need supplies. No, 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 that's not what you do. We need this. We need this ammo. We need this food. We need this ration. We need this. We need that. And you begin to lay it out. Not that, not that you, we bark at God and tell him our grocery list, as I've already said a couple of times, but we say, Lord, I'm in need of this. Lord, I'm in, I'm in need of wisdom. You know, help me to be a better father. Help me to be a better husband. Help me to be a better pastor. Help me to be a better, help me to be a better this. Lord, because you've called me to do this. So, Lord, I need this anointing. I need this wisdom. Lord, I need this grace for my life. That's not barking orders at God. That's asking him to help you to do what he's called you to do. <laughs> Amen. So, you know, if the military has called you to battle, you ask, for the, you ask for the ammo, you ask for the supplies that you need. Amen. So although God is an all-knowing being, he desires his soldiers to use the mouth he created to speak and make requests or declare things in prayer. <laughs> We use our mouth for plenty of other things. Why not make it to make requests to God? Amen. So not only do we make requests, pray specifically, but watch unto perseverance. Perseverance is to be persistent, to be strong or firm, to endure, to accomplish, to remain, to bring through, an, bring through to an end. So that means you keep enduring, you keep persevering. So when Christians persevere, there is victory. So may Christians use every piece of armor, that God has given to receive victory over the enemy. Amen. Amen.